0: Amen. Now let's just be clear, you're, you're never going to be the same because of the Word of God, right? So it's not the messenger, it's not, it's the Word of God. And one of the things we always want you to, uh, to do is we want you to chew on what we share with you, take it home, study, show yourself approved. If there's anything in there that's non-biblical, toss it. Uh, if it's a biblical and it doesn't um, you don't like it, then don't toss it chew on it and let it work on you because a lot of times what the word of God does it challenges our like we learned last week we come into worldviews we have worldviews we have ways of thinking that the Lord and the kingdom of God and the way God thinks is different from ours and we got to let the word of God not only deal with our worldviews but what we're going to learn tonight is we're going to look at the idea that we have mindsets or strongholds or ways of thinking and you might think yourself well I thought that's for non-christians well actually we were all non-christians at one time correct we all got saved we got born again and one of the things we keep telling you is that when you got saved your spirit was renewed your spirit was made new but your mind came in the same way uh, you know it was before you got saved So God doesn't transform your mind. He says, uh, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's our job. God doesn't uh, crucify your flesh. We're supposed to crucify the flesh. We're supposed to, we deal with our bodies. We deal with our minds. I'm not saying you do it in your own strength. You do it with the partnership of God. God renews your spirit, but it's up to us to transform our mind. And how do we transform our mind by getting into the word of God? one of the things that the Word of God teaches us is that we have ways of thinking strongholds, not just as non-Christians coming into Christian life, but also as Christians, we have ways of thinking that may not necessarily be biblical. They could be, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, everything I think is is biblical. Well, probably not. But even some of the things that we think are biblical may not necessarily be kingdom, they might be religious, right? And so we want to always give God the freedom to deal with those areas of our lives. I want you to know that I've been a Christian since 1985, and I I used to tell you how long that was, but I have to do math when I'm preaching, and that's not good. So um, since 1985, I think it's 37 years now I've been a Christian, and I'm still getting my mind renewed. God's still doing stuff with my mind as I get into the Word of God, I see things that I didn't see before, and part of the reason I can see things that I didn't see before is because I let God change some things in my life through the Word of God, and that little change brought another change and allowed another change to come in, and that's what we consistently do as people, and we've got to let the Word of God do that with us. But anyway, let's get into the message. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God, uh, in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments... And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Now, You might say, well, my my Bible says philosophy, my Bible says arguments, but the bottom line is what we're dealing with is we're dealing with uh, uh, ways of thinking, bringing every thought, every way of thinking into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is filled. So what we're talking about here, and you need to get the context, is the context is Paul is not writing to non-believers, he's writing to believers. How many of y'all are believers? If we're believers, then Paul could have been writing to you. Well, I've been in church for I don't know how many years. Well, if you're in the context of a believer, then it still applies to us. Okay. So, kind of give you a a, a little bit of background. Last week, I think it was last week, we were looking at the idea of a worldview, uh, how worldview affects your understanding of Scripture and how you see life. A worldview is a set of presuppositions or assumptions which we hold either consciously or unconsciously, about the basic makeup of our world. Most of us do not consciously learn our worldview so much as we absorb it from our surrounding society. It's passed on from generation to generation with minimal change, and the assumptions are rarely reviewed or revised. We assume that the way we understand life is how everybody understands life or how everybody should understand life. I gave you the example of last week how missionaries can go across, across the seas, and if they're not uh, uh, familiar with the idea that they see world a certain way um, and, and other people see worlds a certain way, then what they'll end up doing is they're going to go over seas and they're going to create an American church because that's their world view. They're going to teach them how everything in America is done, and you go over there, and it's, it's funny to, to, I don't mean that in a, in a literal sense, it's, it's interesting how you can go over and see a culture that's totally opposite to, uh, to a Western culture, but if uh, you know an American missionary has been there because you go into church, and they do the same things that we do here, right? They don't get the freedom to do things uh, 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 according to their culture, biblically, kingdom, but according to their culture, Right? And so we've, we've got to understand that that uh, we have a worldview, we have a context, we have ways of seeing things. And I gave you another example last week about how when I was saved, I was saved in something called, uh, the, 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 the phrase they used was a camp meeting church. And uh, I love my church, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it was great. Basically, I told you last week, I, I, I didn't grow up in church, so I, uh, my way of describing it, it was, uh, yeah, they let the Spirit of God move, but they like to sing old songs. Okay, They sung, they sung hymns, they sung, and I like those hymns, and I like the old songs. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem was that when I was in that church, I thought this was the way everybody did church, or this is the way everybody needed to do church. And when I went to Bible school, I got called a minister, and went to Bible school starting started attending churches. I began to evaluate churches based on what I thought a church should be. The problem was, I didn't give room for the fact that God does different things in different churches. Every church has a strength, every church has a weakness, and the culture of the places, even though I'm still in, in, in Texas in the Bible Belt, but the culture, I went to a Hispanic church, a culture in a Hispanic church is going to be different than a culture in an American church, and so I didn't give room for that. But the Lord began to show me that. Thankfully, like I told you last week, I I, I went into a a missions program. They began to teach me about culture. They began to teach me about worldview. And so I began to be able to to at least get an idea that I saw life with a lens. Right? Because most of us don't realize we see life with a lens. If you can just come away with the idea that you see life with a lens, then you can ask yourself, you know, well, I didn't know I had a lens. I wonder if my lenses are dirty. I wonder, I see everything dark, I wonder if my lenses are tinted, right? So we, once you realize you have a lens, that helps a lot to allow God to begin to deal with you in life. If you think everything you see and how you see things is right, not only are you going to argue with people who see things differently, but you're also going to argue with God who sees things differently. Anyway, that's my, <laughs> that's my opinion. Since I have the mic, I can share my opinion. Okay, all right. So uh, every society has presuppositions. Some are conscious, but most are unconscious. We acquire thinking patterns through which we interpret experiences from our parents, the media, art, education, and so on. Our worldview is like a lens. that colors, clarifies, classifies, warps, or partially excludes the world. What I want to look at today is along the lines of a worldview, but with but what Paul talks to us about is refers. We're going to refer to the idea of a stronghold, um, but which other translations will call a mindset, a way of seeing things. From um, what is a stronghold or a mindset? It's a set way of looking at something that, in the context of Corinthians, are 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 text that we're using is a negative stronghold that can prevent the will and word of God from having its effect in your life. Now, there are positive strongholds. The Lord is our strong tower. Uh, We can have a positive stronghold, but you can also have a negative stronghold. And what Paul is referring to is more context of having a negative stronghold, a way of thinking that is actually Uh, ungodly and when we say ungodly uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that's evil but it's not necessarily godly okay So a stronghold is a structure, in particular, is a strongly fortified defensive or military structure. So in the context of what we're talking about, strongholds are thoughts, mindsets, and attitudes which are contrary to the Word of God, uh, which are all designed to keep us from knowing the truth about God. Another way of saying this is a stronghold can also almost always be built around a lie, right? Uh, These lies, if you will, might not keep us from being saved, But they can keep us from receiving the good things that God has promised Christ followers in his word, including gifts of protection, provision, and healing. Right? You may have grown up in a church, and and again, nothing wrong with, with a lot of churches, but you may have grown up in a church where the idea that they believe is that God no longer does signs, wonders, and miracles today. And if that's your, your way of looking at life, it's the way your life was shaped, it's the way you know, that you do life, but when I read the Bible, I read that God does signs, wonders, and miracles today. Right? And if you have an idea that God doesn't do that, what we're hoping to do is allow God, if we recognize that it might be a mindset or a stronghold, allow God and God's word to work in that area of your life to give you a different mindset, a different view, which I believe is more of a kingdom view. Okay? You might disagree with me, but that's okay. We'll have to agree to disagree. Unfortunately, churches don't do that very well. Church people don't do that very well. I've had conversations with people, and I said, we're going to have to agree to disagree, and I can do that, but it seemed like most of the time they can't. Because in their mind, they're right. And how can I agree to disagree with you if you're wrong? Well, we're not always wrong, we just might have different perspectives, different way of seeing things. You know, as an adult, you have a different way of seeing things than you do as a kid, right? If your parent, if you're a kid, and your parent won't give you what you want, what do you immediately say? You're mean, right? But if you give your kid everything you want, and you're an adult, then you might say to yourself, I'm not very, I'm not being very good to this kid. I can actually say about myself that I'm mean, Right. If I give you everything you want, I'm not a good parent. But a kid that doesn't get everything he wants, he might say you're not a good parent. Now how many people do we have in church that say God's not a good father because he didn't do what we wanted him to do? Right? So we have to understand that sometimes the thoughts that we have about god the thoughts that we have about our kingdom are not always built on truth many of them can be built on lies they might not keep us from being saved but they can keep us from receiving the good things that god has promised for us in christ in ephesians 4:17 through 24 paul says this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in the futility of their mind so why is paul writing this to the ephesians because they are doing just that they're christians And he's telling them, don't live like the Gentiles if you're Christians. In fact, in Ephesians 4.1, he says, "I, I, I, uh, I beseech you, brethren, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called. Why would he say that? Because they haven't been doing that. The Gentiles have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt, uh, corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So what is Paul telling them? He said, you put off your old man, put off that way of thinking, and put on... The new man, a new way of looking at life, which is always going to be in accordance with the way God's nature is in true righteousness and holiness. So, if you're living a life that's ungodly, and this is real simple when you're talking about sin, but, but you would be surprised in the church today we've we've made it acceptable to sin. Sin is never acceptable. Right? Now we can we can uh, oftentimes churches can. Um, defines sin differently. In other words, uh, to me, sin is rebelling against the word of God. To other people, sin might be, you know, you, you, you had a cigarette. That's sin, right? Well, it might be sin to you. It might not be sin to somebody else. The Bible actually says nothing about smoking a cigarette. Now, I won't do it. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it's healthy for you to, to, to do that to your body. But when I'm talking about sin, I'm talking about uh, adultery, homosexuality. I'm talking about uh, uh, be angry and sin. Uh, uh, the Bible says be angry and sin not, but you have unforgiveness. You have bitterness in your heart that you're unwilling to let go. I'm talking about refusing to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to me. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about sin. I'm not talking about you wore the wrong color shirt today. Are you, are you hearing what I'm talking about? But for some churches, that's the same. It's the same. You, you won't acknowledge Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior. You're smoking a cigarette, same. Not realizes that some people can get saved, but they have to get to a place where they shed off some of these things that they used to do. But you can't make them, you can't force them. Right? They have to want to give it up, and when they want to give it up, because they realize it's not healthy for them, it's not healthy for those around them, they realize it's not pleasing to the Lord, then with God's grace, they can shed these things off in their life. Again, we're not talking about major things, we're talking about uh, peripheral things, but for some churches, they're all the same. I don't know how I got off on that. Let me get back. All right? Didn't mean to, to, to get into a discussion of what's sin and what is not sin but the reality is what I'm trying to get you to understand is that we have ways of looking at things, even in that, what I consider to be a major sin might be different than what you consider to be a major sin, right? Now, what can keep us from seeing and embracing the powerful living word and transform the way we see and live our lives in Christ, and to use another metaphor from the Bible, if if, if the way we think is compared to a wineskin because what do you pour God's truth into? Your mind. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Psalms 1, uh, uh, You know, blesses man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. How is he meditating? What is he doing? He's reading the word of God. He's listening to the word of God. It's entering into his mind. It's changing the way. He thinks, we hope, right? So uh, I want you to use the metaphor of pouring the new wine, God's way of seeing things, God's spiritual things, into your wineskin, which is your way of thinking, right? To use another metaphor, if the way we think is compared to a wineskin, then an old wineskin, one that is rigid and inflexible, can be a hindrance to embracing the word of God and the interpretation the Spirit would want us to grasp. So you're saying that as a Christian, I need to be flexible in my thinking? Uh, I thought I had to become rigid, because every time I see church people, they become more rigid in their thinking, well, that's religious. That's not necessarily being spiritual. I'm not talking about being, uh, 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 you know, the Word of God is applicable for some people, but not for you. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about that there are things in the Word of God that we don't know. Well, I've been going to church all my life. Yeah, and God's been trying to get stuff through you and over to you all your life, but He's not going to do it, and He hasn't been able to do it because you won't allow Him. Because instead of having a flexible way of looking at things, you have a, uh, a what you call a rigid, flexible—I mean, rigid, uh, hard wineskin—and He doesn't want to destroy you, so He's not going to show you the things He wants to show you because you would reject it, or it would cause you to self-destruct. Luke 5, 37-39. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. No one having drunk the old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. What does that mean? We're resistant to new things. We're resistant to new ways of of looking at it. It's just, it's a natural thing that happens. The older you get, the more you like uh, routine, the more you expect routine. Particularly, have you ever gotten, when you're a kid, you have things all over the floor. When I go to bed at night, I want to make sure that everything's where it needs to be because I don't want to have to get up in the middle of the night like old people sometimes have to do, older people have to do. Right? And trip over a pillow. Where'd that pillow come from? Why is that pillow there? Who put that pillow there? (laughs) You know, I don't remember putting the pillow there. Why is that pillow there? You know, if that pillow hadn't been there, I wouldn't have tripped. I wouldn't have hurt myself. I wouldn't be going to the orthopedic doctor right now if that pillow hadn't been there. I need to make sure everything's where it needs to be because we don't want to get hurt. And sometimes that's what we want with the church. We want everything in place because we don't want to get hurt. The church religion, did you know that God so values free will that when the whole world was in a perfect order, and a perfect state, he put a tree of, of life, but he also put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of y'all have ever thought to yourself, if that tree hadn't been there, if that pillow hadn't been on the floor, and so what we, we we hope what we would have hoped that god would have done if he would have talked to us if never put that tree in there but god so values free will that he left the tree in there for man to make a choice to either honor god by choosing to do what he wants or rebel against god by choosing to do the opposite of what he wants right religion continues to try to remove the tree from the garden so nobody can mess up But God doesn't do that. He gives us the freedom to choose. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is that if you don't recognize sometimes that you become so rigid, we become rigid in our thinking because we don't want to uh, uh, get hurt, we don't want to make mistakes. But in doing that, what we do is we become rigid and inflexible, and we don't allow any opportunity for something different to appear in our lives. If it's different from what I know, it's wrong. If it's different from the way I grew up, it's wrong. Our set ways of seeing and reading and interpreting Scripture, and yes, I'm talking to Christians, can often become rigid and in that sense be a stronghold or mindset that prevents us from being sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can reveal to us things that He wants to show us that we may have not seen. And those things can often turn our world upside down because it radically changes our understanding how things are, how things should be, how things can be. In a sense, it literally blows our minds. I remember one time, um, this is a long time ago. How, how long ago was, uh, uh, let's see, I was at that church from 95 to 2000, and that's when Brownsville was taking place. And when Brownsville was taking place, I actually went down there to see if it was the Lord or not. You know, because I had a lot of people telling me it wasn't. And I had people telling me it was. And I said, well, i got to figure this out. So I went down there. And on Friday night, I presented for a couple of days. On Friday night, uh, you, had ex, you had drug addicts, uh, prostitutes, ex that were getting up and saying, Jesus changed me, Jesus healed me, Jesus set me free. And I said to myself, I don't care what anybody says, uh, uh, the devil doesn't do that. The devil didn't give glory to God for changing their lives. God's in this. Now, does that mean everything was right? And every, you know, no, it doesn't mean that there weren't accidents. But God was in that because lives are being changed. You've got to judge things by the fruit. Every, every, uh, even Jesus said that you're going to have uh, wheat and you're going to have tares, but you don't pull up the tares because you'll ruin the wheat. The goal, we're always looking for tares, but sometimes we've got to focus on the wheat. So anyway i was trying to remember how i got there <laughs> so anyway i had i, I was uh, I, I went down i determined it was the lord but i still had somebody in my life that kept telling me that ain't hey, from god that's wrong you know and i just normally just let it go let it go let it go yeah i'm really not that kind of person that holds grudges but then one day they just they came at me once too much and they came at me once too much and i remember i got offended i got offended And I said, God, I I may not literally pray this way, but if I were thinking, if I was today and and I was at the same place, I would say, I probably prayed, God, you need to change them. You need to get a hold of them. They need to repent, God. They need to do what, but, but, but," and so I was, at least I was praying, right? And then, and then one day the Lord speaks to me and he said, "Uh, Rick, you need to ask them to forgive you. I said, what? That ain't God. That's the enemy. They offended me. They did this to me. That ain't God. And you see, that's what a religious mindset will do. They don't want to hear from God because it's outside of their scope. It's outside of their thinking. But thankfully, I wasn't old enough yet to be religious. Or maybe that full religious spirit hadn't quite got a hold of me yet because there was some stuff in me that was religious. So anyway, I heard the Lord, and I said, how can that be? He said this to me. They said this to me. They did this. And the Lord said, but you're the one that's holding an offense. You need to go. And I never saw the scripture that way. I never read the scripture that way. But God clarified to me that I was actually in a prison that I put myself in by holding offense against somebody else because of my righteous indignation. And so instead of this person coming to me to ask forgiveness of me, now I realize, no, I'm the one that's in the wrong, and I need to go ask them for forgiveness. So what would you do? Well, I'm still, that was, how many of you, 30 years ago? I'm still planning on calling them. <laughs> no, I actually went by there. As soon as he told me that, uh, well, I'll tell you the whole story. Some of you all hadn't heard it. I, I, I said, okay. This person's really busy, so um, if they're really busy, I know what I'll do. I know this ain't God. I know it's not God. But it might be God, but I know it's not God. So I'll, I'll drive by their workplace, and they're always busy. So if there's anybody in the parking lot, I'm not going to do it. I know it's not God. So I drove, and I right in the middle of the day, right during, during the, 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 the time when people are really busy, I drive by their, uh, uh, their, their place of work, and there's nobody in the parking lot. Then I said, okay, I know, one more thing. I said, if I, if I peek my head in there and I say, hey, are you busy? And they're always busy, always busy. So I knew this wasn't God. I said, if they're busy, I know God's not in there. I peek my head in there and say, hey, you busy? Nope, come on in. So I said, what's up? I said, well, I just need to come here and I need to ask you to forgive me. Do I need to know what for? Nope. He said, "Done. you're forgiven weight off my shoulder. But if I had not been willing to see things from another perspective, I had not been willing to let God correct my way of seeing things, I would have never been set free from that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? John 16, 12 through 15, uh, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. It doesn't say he will force you. It says he will guide you. You know, when somebody's guiding me, they can say, turn right. And I said no. Nah. Right? You're, my wife will tell me all the time, you need to go this way. And I said, no. Nah. You know I, I know, I know how to get there. You ain't telling me how to get there. I know how to get there, you know. And uh, Google is screaming, you're going the wrong way the whole time. But you know how we men are. Anyway, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. In first Corinthians 2, 9 through 12, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to them Uh, to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yet the deep things of god and uh uh, for the spirits uh, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one knows the things of god except the spirit of god now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So what's, what's my point, what I'm trying to bring out here? The spirit of God is our guide, is our teacher, is, our, is, our, is more uh, uh, than just uh, uh, somebody that comforts us. He's actually our instructor, reveals to us the mind of God. But if we think that what he's being revealed to us is not God... Because it's not what I heard growing up. It's not what I thought. It's not the way I'm used to doing things, so that can't be God. So then the very things that God's trying to reveal to us, we reject because we're not tender to the things of the Spirit. Even Well, i got to see it from the Word of God, but here's the thing. You can read the Word of God with a rigid mindset and not allow the Spirit of God to reveal things to you through His Word. You have to read the Word of God with the idea that God, show me what you want me to learn, teach me through your Word, even if it's not something that I know. Nobody would, None of us would say we know everything, but sometimes when we go to the Word of God, we read it as if we know it already. And we have to read it being tender to the Spirit of God, revealing some of the things in the Word of God to us. The example I use quite a bit is the disciples' reaction to Jesus walking on the water. Matthew 14, 25-33. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The disciples, He had told them to go without him. They were on the sea. They were fishermen, experienced fishermen. They were caught in a storm. Things were pretty bad. Jesus sees them out there in the middle of the sea. By the way, you can't see in the middle of the sea. There's no headlights. There's no spotlights. So how do See him by the Spirit, and he went over to them. How did he go over to them? When the disciples saw him walking on the sea. Now, who's walking on the sea? Jesus. The Bible says the disciples, whose disciples? His disciples, those that were following him, those that were with him, those that knew him, when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they didn't say, oh, thank you, Lord, you're here. They said, no, it's a ghost. And I want you to know that when we think of ghosts, they thought the same thing. They weren't saying, hey, this is a spiritual manifestation of God. They say, that's a demonic thing. That's evil. Now, the the disciples are writing the scriptures, so I don't think they wanted to tell anybody that they called Jesus a demon. My personal opinion. So they said, it's a ghost. But what what were they saying? They were saying, what I'm seeing, it ain't God. Is that okay? Is that more palatable to you? What I'm seeing, it ain't God. But could it have been any more God than what it was? Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh, was walking on the water, and they said, It ain't God. I know I'm putting the Texas accent in there. It ain't. It ain't. Why isn't it God? Because we've never seen that before. It's outside our context. It's outside our the way we reason. It's outside. Anytime we've ever seen something like that, we've been taught to say, it's a demonic thing, it's a ghost, it's a spirit, not a good one. But then the Bible says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And when they heard his voice, and that's the thing, even if something is different, something's outside your boat, outside your box. Wait and listen for the voice of God, because if you hear the voice of God, it just might be God. No, it's an angel of light. It's the enemy. He comes as an angel of light. No, sometimes just because it's different, it's different, doesn't mean it's not God. It's just different for you. you hear what I'm saying? So please don't misunderstand me. I believe. And what the Bible says about rightly studying and rightly dividing the word of truth. In fact, I've had quite a bit of schooling to show me how to do that effectively. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But in my studying, uh, and I I was pastor, I was talking to somebody today, uh, I actually pastored in Pearland, and I was there from uh, 1995 to 2000, and while I was there, I, I always took the word of God seriously. I always tried to be studied up. I always tried to do things the right way. Um, and I would do the uh, exegesis, hermeneutical, studies, homiletical. I'd do all of that. It would take me quite a long time to put together a message. But I tried to be faithful to the text. I tried to hear uh, when I was reading the text what the Lord was trying to show through the text. But even in that, I also uh, apparently needed a course correction. Because, um, you know, the Holy Spirit wanted to have more sway in my life so that I could correctly and rightly divide the word of truth. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, I, went to, I actually went to a conference, a friend of mine who was pastoring in Paraland as well. He's, in, he's from a non denominational church. You know how they are. They're crazy in the spirit. When they're spiritual, man, they're, they're crazy. They do crazy stuff. What do you mean by that? It's different than what we do it. If, if it was really spiritual they would do it just like us remember when i talked about worldview mindset Well, anyway he invited me to a prophetic conference prophetic conference well you know i believe in the prophetic but i've never seen it like that so i went over there and uh, there was a, a a guy there and and, and he and his wife called themselves prophets now i know that's not in our culture and we don't like that and we but you know what uh, that may not be in your culture but it doesn't mean it's not right right so they they were that way and i was one of the people they prophesied for uh, prophesied over he t- to me he didn't know me for man he said rick stand up and uh, he didn't know my name was rick he just said stand up and i'm just telling his i stood up and he said you're a word man and you've been faithful in that and i, I almost remember to this day he said but god is going to cause you to be a spirit man as well you're going to be a spirit man and a word man and when the two are functioning together that's where the power of God is. Wow. That's amazing. And I want to tell you something. That was like on a Saturday, the conference on a Saturday. And um, I went back on Sunday, and I used to go in, uh, had a fellowship hall. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but pastors, um, when nobody else does things, pastors do it. Pastors do it until other people start doing it. So I used to go in, I'd go in early. I'd make sure all the lights were on. I'd make sure all the ACs are on, the heaters are on. Uh, you know, make sure the doors are open, everything's ready, you know, for the people when they come. And I had about 20 or 30 minutes to sit uh, in the fellowship hall by myself. Uh, I, I used always got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, so I'd been up since 4, uh, seeking the mind of the Lord, you know, but uh, the reality is I had a little bit of time. I had my message ready from earlier in the week, and while I'm sitting in the fellowship hall, the Spirit of God begins to talk to me. And when He began to talk to me, I began to write it down. And when I wrote it down, I had the impression that this is what I'm supposed to preach on that morning. And so I preached not the message that I had prepared, which was nothing wrong with the message, but I preached what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, which was very biblical, had a lot of scripture in it. Uh, And when I preached that that morning, uh, there was a noticeable difference to me in what I was preaching. It's like it had breath on it. It had more life to it. It's not that things I didn't have before didn't have life, but it was like, what's the right word i don't want to say deeper i want to say huh yeah it was rhema. and it had, it had it was like it had it was like a breath of fresh air to me why because i was being i had that prophetic word what god was using that that prophetic guy that spoke over me to to impart something to me to do something in my life what if i had rejected it what if I said I know God I, I'm a spiritual man I don't need that in my life you know I could have done that and I've been doing the same thing I've been doing but I didn't I felt like what he was saying over me was that's a good thing I want that in my life and ever since that day that sensitivity the Spirit of God has marked what I do And I'm not bragging or being bragging I study I wake up early, I spend time with the Lord, but how He speaks to me is not through the, through the exegetical, homiletical. I do that, but it's not really that. I feel like the Holy Spirit breathes something into my life. I sense His presence, and then I go and take what He gives to me, and then I, I make it palatable for you. But I'm not giving you something that I worked up. I'm not giving you something that I'm giving you something that I believe that God breathed on for me, and then whatever he gave to me, I give to you. I, I like the way somebody said this. It. It's like it's like when I come in the mornings, I don't come in the morning to 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 seek God for you. I come in the morning to seek God for me. He said, Well, you got a routine, you're a habit, that's religious. Well, you know what? In my routine and in my habit, I've had a lot of time to be with God. There was a musician, uh, Billy Joel. Anybody know who he is? All right, Billy Joel was giving an interview one time, and they said, how in the world uh, do you have so many hit songs? He said, well, I'll tell you something. I'm very talented. You know, I mean, I have this talent. He didn't say that. I said, I have this talent. He said, and, and you know, I, I used to find that as I was going along, some things would happen, some things would come along. But I began to realize that when I disciplined myself to spend two hours a day at the piano, I got a lot more stuff. When I discipline myself to spend time with the Lord every morning, it's amazing that even though it's a routine, it's really more of a discipline. And do you know that the word disciple, the root word of that is discipline. When I discipline myself to be in a position to hear from God, it's amazing how God used that to speak to me. Right? And I, what I was going to tell you, it's kind of like when I spend time with the Lord I feel like um, somebody described it this way. It's like God is saying, hey, would you like to dance? Right? And you're dancing with God, and where you're dancing with God, you're just enjoying Him, He's enjoying you, and then you go back to sit down when the dance is over, and when you go back to sit down, He slips something in your pocket. And when you pull that out, you realize, oh, That's what I need for the next morning, or that's what God is preparing for. That's the manna he wants me to share with people. It's not about, it's never been about getting something for you. It's just about spending time with the Lord. But if you'll spend time with the Lord, he will provide everything you need. So, I'm not saying that study and discipline aren't important. They aren't. But they're not necessarily the only keys to understanding scripture. Neither is tradition. Our traditions, our traditional ways of understanding and interpreting Scripture can become, if we're not careful, like an old wineskin. And those old wineskins prevent us from seeing what God wants to reveal to us in our continuing desire to draw closer and become like Him. In order to hear what He's saying to us through His Word, we must remain disciples. As I said before, what is a disciple? At its core, a disciple is a learner. If we're ever going to be, if we're going to continue to be true disciples, we must always be learners. And what is a learner? A learner must always be open to learning something new. Thus, effectively, we are fresh, pliable wineskins. If we ever get to the place where we believe we are learned, you know the scribes and the Pharisees believe themselves to be learned but they were so learned they weren't open to see God when he appeared before them for three and a half years you see scripture is supposed to prepare you to hear God to experience God to see God in life But if Scripture is only about uh, study and discipline and, and you're not sensitive to the Spirit of God, you can miss the very things that you hope to be seeing in your life. They were looking for the Messiah and they missed the Messiah when He stood right in front of them because it didn't match their picture of what they thought the Messiah should be. If we ever get to the place where we believe we're learned, then we're no longer in a position to learn. We are rigid wineskins, and we effectively are no longer disciples. As I told this story many times, some of y'all are new, so y'all be patient with me when I tell stories you've heard 10 or 15 times. Y'all, 10 or 15 times? We've heard that at least 100. When I went to Bama school, and, the, and I realized this wasn't just about praying, this was about life. I realized somebody had told me that there was a guy named Leonard Ravenhill that said if I wouldn't give two bits which is a quarter by the way for a full-time minister that spent less than two hours in prayer and so um, when I got there I met a guy and the Lord's Spirit of the Lord says see that guy right there I want you to follow him just follow him you get to know him so I did and he would go he was the one that actually gave me that that quote and he would go spend two hours every day in the uh, prayer room and so the Lord told me to follow him so I need to go spend, and I I didn't want to be uh, 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 worthless, I wanted to be at least worth a quarter, you know, so I said, I'm going to follow him to the prayer room, I go to the prayer room, and and he's over there on his face, just praying to the Lord, however he does it, and I'm praying to the Lord, and about an hour and 45 minutes later, I wake up, (laughs) just I'm just, I, I run out of things to pray for after a little while, you know? It's like, because I, I ran through my list, uh, checked it twice, trying to find out who's not, even, no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, I, I'm go, I said, I got to figure out how to pray. If I'm going to be in a prayer room for, for two hours, I need to figure out how to pray. So we were at Bible school, so you go to the library if you want to figure stuff out, because that's just the way I did. I went to the library, checked out all these books on prayer, and all of them say how wonderful prayer is, how we should do it more, and how, how you know. But none of them told me how to pray. Not one. I said, well, I'm going to learn how to pray. And I had this, I, this flash of insight. I, I didn't know it was the Lord, but I think, looking back, it was the Lord. I said, well, I went out to, to, to pray, and I said, Lord, you're my father, and I'm your son. It's your responsibility as my father to teach me how to pray. No lightning bolts. You no know, earthquakes. Everything's okay. But what I did hear was the voice of the Lord. Not a an audible voice, but I heard God whisper to me. And he said to me Rick who knows more you or me And I was a Bible college student so I thought I knew a lot but I didn't know more than God and I said well God you do and then he said to me well then who should do most of the talking I said I guess you should Lord and he's never told me differently I pray in tongues I uh, Um, but I don't pray long prayers. I don't spend a lot of time talking to you. Most of the time that I spend with the Lord is in quiet. I I don't have music going. That's just me. There's nothing wrong with that. Just me. I just have silence. I love the silence because in the silence I hear God. And I, I, I realize it's not just about being quiet. It's about positioning yourselves to hear from God and recognizing that God knows more than I do. You hear what I'm saying? So let's look at one last example and then we'll be done. Uh, Peter will give you another example of what I'm talking about. The Apostle Peter was absolutely convinced that he knew which foods were clean and unclean. Right? He'd read Leviticus 11, 1 through 23, Deuteronomy 14, 3 through 20, which divided foods into clean and unclean foods. Clean foods were foods that God in the law allowed the Israelites to eat and uh, unclean foods were uh, foods that the Israelites were not allowed to eat if they wanted to be faithful Jews. One day during a discussion with Peter and the other disciples, Jesus, in effect, declared all foods clean. Mark 7, 17 through 19. When he had entered the house, left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now Mark is writing that, right? So in the course of his teaching, he declared that essentially all foods are clean. This declaration went right over Peter's head. Because years later, Peter was praying and fell into a trance, and he saw a large sheep being let down from heaven that contained all kinds of unclean animals. And he heard a voice saying in Acts chapter 10, 10-16, he became very hungry, wanted to eat, but while they made it ready, he fell into a trance, saw heaven open, an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him, and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, like many of us who have grown up, certain ways of looking at things, this is how we've been trained, this is how we've been taught, this is how it's supposed to be. Peter said, no, not so. But at least he recognized the voice of God. And he said, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Even though the Lord told Peter to eat unclean foods, Peter refused because it was against his tradition and his interpretation of Scripture. The Lord had to repeat the vision three times in order to get Peter's vision. Of course, the ultimate meaning of this vision has to do with the opening of the church to the Gentiles, people, uh, 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 Jewish believers regarded as unclean and unacceptable for membership in the church. Jewish believers would not eat with Gentiles because they ate unclean foods. This was all backed up by a very traditional interpretation of Scripture, and God eventually changed Peter's interpretation and practice, but he had to repeat the vision three times in order to get him to even begin to question his own prejudices. Remember what I told you about lenses? If Peter required that kind of direct challenge by the Spirit of God to correct his understanding of the Bible, How much more do we? Some might argue that this kind of correction is no longer necessary because we have the whole Bible, whereas Peter only had the New Testament. But on this very point, Peter did have New Testament revelation because he was there when the Word of God said all foods are clean. Yet the Lord's declaration had not been enough to correct his erroneous interpretation. So far I've only been speaking of interpretation, but there are other areas of scripture and and, and the way God speaks that we have to uh, uh, take uh, uh, just as seriously. Because uh, we have to learn how to, uh, uh, we've talked about revelation, but we also have to look at interpretation and application. Whenever we speak about hearing God, we're always dealing with three areas. First, the revelation itself. Second, the interpretation of the revelation. And third, the application of the interpretation. The Bible is always true because God, who can't lie, is its author. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But someone's interpretation of Scripture may not be true. If you read back in the, um, in the uh, 1914, I think, there was a general council uh, gathering of churches. It wasn't Assemblies of God yet, just a gathering of churches of Pentecostal like-minded people. And I think during that, uh, at that particular time, uh, the way pe- people would get uh, noticed is they had new revelations, new things that God would give them. And uh, one of the uh, ministers there, they had a new revelation that night on Saturday that people had to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. Right, So no longer, if you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that baptism was no longer acceptable. You had to be baptized in the name of Jesus only, is what it says in Acts. But that was their interpretation. But that interpretation caused a split among the churches there, and many people went that way, and other people held to the Trinitarian ways of looking at baptism. What I'm saying is that is that you can have the scripture, but you can interpret it, in a way that may not necessarily be biblical or may not necessarily agree with the people that see it differently. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us not just about the revelation but about the interpretation and the application. Uh, uh, Just a real quick example the Bible states that penalty for murder is death. And the penalty for adultery is death. That's talking about Old Testament. right? David committed both murder and adultery. He should die, right? The revelation is easy to interpret at this point. Murders and adulterers are to be executed. Yet Nathan the prophet said God was not going to apply the law in the usual manner and said he was going to forgive David. In this case, God's will went against the normal application of what they knew to do. Furthermore, the application could only be known by listening to the one who wrote the Bible. In the New Testament, one of the greatest battles that Jesus faced was by healing people on the Sabbath. That's really why they wanted to kill him. That ain't God. If you do that on the Sabbath, that ain't God. Yet he's the one that implemented the Sabbath. He should know what the Sabbath is for. He is the word of God made flesh. Right? But when they saw that, because they were so rigid in the way that he interpreted scripture, Jesus himself brought out the fallacy of that. Don't you... Go and loose your donkey if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Don't you go do that. Should not this woman that has been bound for all these years be loosed as well? And they were shamefaced, but they still wanted to kill him because it went contrary to the way they interpreted Scripture. And see, sometimes that that happens too as well. Sometimes we say, well, God may be in that, but I reject it. I prefer my rigid way of looking at things. You say, well, I would never say that. We're not talking about you say that but sometimes it's what we do because it's familiar, it's comfortable. We need the illumination of the Holy Spirit in the process of application just as much as we do in the process of interpretation. The right interpretation applied incorrectly will never help us. In fact, it may even be destructive to those that we love. So how do we conclude this? Like Peter, our set ways of reading and interpreting Scripture can become rigid and in that sense become a mindset that prevents us from being sensitive to the Holy Spirit to reveal to us things that He wants to show us that we may not have seen that can and often turn our world upside down because it radically changes our understanding of how things can and should be done. To let that happen, we must remain teachable and I I just keep going back to that what I was telling you when I went to Brownsville Uh, there were so many people good people love God but in their mind what was happening down there wasn't God it was of the devil and they would tell you that's not God that's of the devil and these are good people They love God. But what they were seeing was outside of their way of understanding of church and how things were supposed to be done. It's out of order. And here's the thing. Have you ever gone to a birth? Does anything in a birthing room when a woman's giving birth look like it's in order? But it's how God designed women to give birth. Sometimes our definition of order is different than God's definition of order. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And sometimes we want to impose our ways of looking at things on what God is doing, and we oftentimes reject without realizing what God is doing because it's contrary to what I think or how it should be done. So the way that I figured out it was God is I went down there and I heard people testifying to the glory of God, and when I heard that, that's what convinced me that it was God because the devil doesn't do that one last thing a guy named John G. Lake went over to Africa and when he was down there in Africa <laughs> you all are going what does it mean when he says one last thing because he's always got something else <laughs> so he goes down to Africa and when he's down there uh, God just miraculously gave him a pulpit he begins to preach from the day that he gets there, and he starts preaching the spirit of God begins to move incredibly powerfully things were happening one particular night he talks about he says he's up there at the front they used to uh, they used to do it at the church I, I got saved that they would have uh, chairs up at the front on the pulpit you know uh, chair over there chair over there and uh, anyway they were sitting up the front and the people were feeling drawn by the Spirit of God and if I remember the the, the, the account the way they, it was written he said one of them started coming to the front and when he got to the front boom he just fell over and another person got up to the front when he got up to the front, he just fell over and this happened over and over and over again in fact they were they were falling over on each other and some of the people were concerned for the welfare of the people. They were concerned with what was happening. This is not something they've seen before. They go over to John Lee Lake. He said, do you see what's happening? Yeah, I see what's happening. He said, is this God or not? He said, I don't know. Let's wait and see. And sometimes... We need to be not so quick to judge whether something is God or not because we don't always know by what we're seeing. Uh, we have to allow the fruit to come out of it. And so after about 30 minutes, or may have been 45 minutes or an hour, I don't remember, they started getting up. And when they started getting up, they started declaring the glory of God and what God was showing them and what God was doing in their lives and they were being changed. And I think at that particular moment, they figured out this was God. But what if they had stopped it before God could have his way within these people? Not only would these people's lives not have been changed, but they would have rejected something that God wanted to do in their midst, which would have uh, put a a stall on what God was wanting to do in the midst of not only that church, but the midst of the city, in the midst of the country. We can't be too quick to judge something, whether it's God or not, by what we see because it's outside of our boat and I've never seen it before. We've got to have the wisdom to say, I don't know, let's wait and see. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so got a couple other things going on in my mind, but I need to be merciful to you guys. So anyway, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious toward you, turn his face toward him, give you peace, And not cheese. Jerry won't like that. And give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.